0: bound he gets it over to the doctor tie ball game here's
1: a shot Julius he, he, scores! Scores! he scores at the buzzer and the Nets win 120 to 118 Julius Irving finishes up with 45 points he bombed it in for the baseline at the buzzer and a shot stunned crowd and the Nets oh are they happy An elated bunch of New York fans go back to the dressing room, and this this uh, arena is simply stunned by Bobby Jones right in his face, as you saw that time, and again, Poetic Justice His 44th and 45th points are the game-winning points.
0: All right, welcome to another edition of One in a Million. I am your host, Roland Million, and today we are joined by a former journalist, Jason Levine, he worked with Basketball Digest. He wrote about the NBA from the 80s to the year I graduated high school in 2004. 2004. Welcome, Jason.
1: (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here. Don't age me that. Do (laughs) that, all right.
0: I might be aging myself a little bit here, too. Fair enough. So, now... Uh, You just heard that clip. Usually I put up a lot of clips of the NBA, but this clip in particular was game one of the 1976 ABA finals where Julius Irving hit the game winner against the Nuggets. Do you have anything that you would like to add about that game? Do you know anything that, that I wouldn't know about that game? Because I wasn't able to really get to watch that game like no. Most most things when it comes to the ABA, what could you tell us about that game?
1: Um, well, the one thing I can tell you for sure is that it was uh, it was Brian Taylor through the pass, mm-hmm. and I know that because the first time I spoke to Brian a couple of years ago with the project that I'm working on, within about ten minutes that came up, and he said, "So you saw the play, right?" that was a perfect
2: pass,
1: (laughs) And that tells you, it tells you a little bit about Brian. He was a great player. Great guy. He's got a great sense of humor. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he certainly remembers that game really, really well. Yeah. And it's fun talking to guys that played at the top level, that played in games like that. And it's fun to listen to him talk about Julius. Yeah. Um, And, you know, he said something that I think people will understand, and it really doesn't matter what the sport, uh, ABA, NBA, NFL, it doesn't matter. He said, you know, when you're playing with a guy like that, he said your confidence level just goes through the roof.
2: Yeah. You're just trying to do what you
1: do, and, you're, and you know in the back of your mind that you've got that guy. Yep. And he said that was, you know, one of the best examples of that guy – being that guy, he mm-hmm. said, you know, he had 40 something going into that play. And then we draw up the play and they know, and we know it's going to him. And we managed to get it to him and he still does that. And we kind of knew he was going to do that. yeah, and, he, and so he has all kinds of stories like that. Cause he played with doc for three years and they won two titles. So um, that one I think was especially important. Because, as Brian told me, he goes, you could look up their record. He said, do you know what Denver's record was at home that year? I said, not off the top of my head. He said, they lost one game. Oh, wow. One. (laughs) They didn't lose at home. They sold out. They had fans were crazy. It was loud. It was a brand-new building. Uh, And they were just, you know, altitude. They were insane at home. And he said, the win game one." We got, our, we got our split. We, you know, if we lose game two, fine. But to win one there, we needed to do that. And um, he remembered everything about the game. You know, it was the finals. Yeah. And uh, they were the underdog. You know, that Denver team was loaded. Absolutely loaded with Hall of Famers, All-Stars, uh, David Thompson, yep. Dan, Bobby Jones, uh-huh. Ralph Simpson. He just loaded. And uh, so – yeah, he, he was excited about that. And he still talks about the past. To him, that plays the past.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's it's ironic, too, because the guy who he hits the jumper over, the guy who uh, Dr. J hits the jumper over, ends up being one of his favorite teammates and ends up being his teammate for a championship in uh, Philadelphia, in Bobby Jones. It's, it's so I, ironic.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And that was, you know, that kind of tells you how good Doc was. Yeah. Jones... Now we look back, and everybody says, you know, Hall of Fame, and certainly, I don't know, top twenty defensive player ever. Yeah, um, and he's the guy they put on Doc, and he and he has forty six and hits the game winner in his face. It yeah, you know, it's that good. It doesn't matter. You know, you put anybody on me you want, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does still loves Bobby Jones, and, and when you, anybody ever asked Doc about his teammates, you know, that's one of the first guys he always brings up. He said just. He just came to play. He caused no problems. He was the nicest guy ever. He showed up early. Did his
0: thing and then went home. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So Bobby Jones is my favorite sixer of all time. Like everybody's like, oh, you don't like Dr. J or Mo Cheeks. I'm like, Bobby Jones was always my favorite sixer of all time. Usually, I like the guys who talk a little trash, but he just he didn't say a word. He just went out there and worked hard and did his thing, and you 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 saw the words from his game.
1: Yeah, yeah, and he did it on both ends. Yep, and, absolutely. Uh, you know and enjoy playing defense which a lot of guys don't so uh
2: yeah a lot of people forgot that he started in the aba so, yeah you know get another guy that uh,
1: started there crossed over and you know did his thing after that for many many years mm-hmm. so that was the last finals for the aba yeah. 76 uh, small league at that point seven teams left by the time they hit the playoffs but the final four in the playoffs were absolutely loaded um very top heavy and those four teams any of them could have could have beaten the uh, the NBA champs that uh, year. oh exactly.
0: absolutely absolutely now it, when you talked about you talked with uh Mr. Taylor about uh the project that you were working on I'm going to get right into it so you're writing a book on the ABA now without giving yeah. us everything what are you going to be focusing on in the book
1: well I you know, I learned so much. I just want to share with people, um, kind of, you know, it's nine years and really who the players were that people should know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know enough about them and, and I'm as big a fan of the game as I think there is out there. I yeah. spent my whole life watching and writing about and talking about it and, and, um, there's so much I didn't know. There's really only the one book, Loose Balls, yep. um, which is a tricky book. It's a lot of fun, but it's a very specific perspective. And when I reread it, I got a little angry. And the more I learned, I got angrier. So I'm trying to, I don't know, a a different perspective, more from the player's perspective. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh,
1: That book was very, you know, it liked to talk about how funky the league was, how weird it was, how crazy it was. But what gets lost is how good it was yeah and quality of play the quality of players um as the league progressed i say the final five years was really really close to the nba Mm -hmm. quality and top end, absolutely equal if not better yeah and i don't think know who those players were so i want to shine a light on guys like brian taylor Mm -hmm. uh, who's a player Uh, Two-time champion, went into the NBA, had some great years. People don't know about him. Yep. Um, You know, Ron Boone is another one. Played every game for eight years in the NBA. NBA played every game there for another five and was an all-star. So there's a lot of guys like that. And so I just want to show kind of how the league progressed, what they were about. And then the other part is the impact on the game. Yeah. The ABA changed the game. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think for anybody that loves basketball, it would be important to know how that happened and and how the game evolved and why. And it's because there was this new different league and Mm -hmm. they had different rules and they played a different style. It was, uh, you know, more guard and forward oriented league. It was much more wide open, much more fun to watch. Um, And it's really, you know, today's NBA is the ABA on steroids. Yeah, yeah. You know, they they came up with the three pointer. They mm-hmm. actually didn't come up with it in the earlier league, did, but they they did it. Yep, yeah. They didn't use they it much. There were not a lot of threes shot in the ABA mm-hmm. because it was considered a bad shot. It, it, you know, and coaches, you got to remember the time. We're talking about the 70s. So yeah. The coaches and the guys that came up in the 40s and 50s. So to them, shooting a 25 footer, this- there were maybe. Maybe two guys on a team that were allowed to shoot it, and yep. that was it. Yeah, and they needed to be open, um, and they didn't run plays for them, you know, very often. So they had it, and it was a weapon, but only for a few guys. Yeah, but it was opened up the court.
0: I can understand how they would probably think that it was like, oh, this is like a gimmick because we we didn't have this when we were playing, you know. So why would we? Why would we even look to shoot? a shot that's lower percentage when you could get something that's closer to the basket, where even if you're contested, it's a higher percentage shot because you're not as far away.
1: Exactly. And guys, you know, the other thing is it cracks me up now, you know, once you put the line there and you put a focus on it, Mm -hmm. guys can just practice that line.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: And it, it it almost doesn't matter where you put the line. Mm -hmm. If they move the line back three feet now, I think it would take like two years and then everybody would be really close to where they are now from three feet because you just stand in the line and practice.
0: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely.
1: And they didn't do that then um, because it just wasn't considered that important a mm-hmm. weapon. And, and, you know, only a couple guys on each team could shoot it from that mm-hmm. far out. Yep. Nobody, did it. you know, whoever, nobody did in college, they didn't have it. So nobody grew up with the shot. So it was very, very different, but it was a much more fun, wide-open game, and that's what we see now. Um, and the three obviously has taken on different proportions, but you know that's the ABA game. There was a lot of funk to the game. Um, guys were doing their thing. They were allowed to be a lot freer on the court. Not the case in the NBA at all. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So it
1: was more more fun for the players, more fun for the fans, and that's what we see now. Yeah. So they did change the game, and then you know they had some guys that that. We're fortunate for the ABA to have him, like Dr. J, mm-hmm. who he changed the game. He did. Um, he did. He took the game. He elevated the game, uh, and he put creativity and flair in the game, and they appreciated that in the ABA. In the NBA, that was still frowned upon. You dunked on somebody, okay, but, you know. You, you might get a shot
0: to, to the chest afterwards the next time down.
1: For sure. That's exactly exactly right. And so, in the ABA was very different. It was like, you you applauded guys who could do that. You were yeah. like, wow, that was a mm-hmm. I know. good for you. <laughs> and, well, you know, they just had a different appreciation for it. And so, you know, that's that's the modern game, and that's where it came from. Yeah. So, a spot like that, um, guys like Darnell Hillman is a mm-hmm. guy people don't know. His you know, nickname was Dr. Dunk. He had a huge afro. He was a high jumper in college. Mm-hmm. Could jump out, um, and guys like that were just exciting players. And yeah. they, they weren't in. The, and if they were, they weren't allowed to do that. They weren't allowed to play that way.
0: Super John. Um, he was a he was a great he, shooter.
1: Was the other guard for those Nets. Yeah, uh, real, real character, uh, and you know, unstoppable offensive player. Um, extremely strong. Uh, went into the NBA. Did his thing there. Um, yeah, I mean, there are just so many talented players who were allowed to show what they could do. Yeah. especially Yeah, the and it was just fun. And so I'm trying to, you know, shine a light on those guys and their contributions to the game, which I really believe have been lost and yeah. dismissed. Yep. NBA who not want to talk about the ABA ever.
0: Yeah. Oh, and absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think, and I think part of the reason why. Um, is because you you touched upon it before. You said as the gap started like closing in and it started to be pretty much equal, right? Um, you had games where I was reading up That's the ABA, when they had those cross-league matchups, the ABA teams started to win out versus the NBA teams. And it got so competitive. I remember reading, I was like, oh, wow, we got this competitive in these exhibition games versus another league because they wanted to prove their superiority. It said that Charlie Scott, Dave Cowens, along with Larry Brown and Tommy Heinsohn, they got ejected out of multiple games and had to listen to the game from the radio in their locker rooms.
1: It got heated. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's professional pride, and there was a lot of that going on. And the uh, they had a lot of those exhibition games over the years, and the last... I think it was three years they did it. The ABA won seventy percent of the games. Yeah. Wow. Uh, now that doesn't mean they were better. Yeah. But uh it was serious. Oh yeah. I think I think it was a little more serious for the ABA because they wanted to prove something. Yep. But professional pride being what it is, there wasn't a single NBA player that wanted to lose any of those games. Yeah. Yeah. Lose this other league. You're supposed to be better than them. Mm-hmm. They're the upstart. They're they're the renegades. You're the real guys. You don't want to lose to them, especially at home. Yeah. So, the the myth that the NBA wasn't trying, which I've read, certain, that's just not true. Um, and they played their starters a lot, a lot of those games. And there was you know, it was it was heated. It was good. Uh, it was really really good and, and very interesting. Um, there's one that I recommend everybody watch because you can't find it. Really. Which was they, they played two what they call super games.
2: Okay which were all-star games after the season, uh, ABA against NBA. And they, they did it to to raise money.
1: Um, the players set it all up. The second one is on YouTube. Um, and it's not the whole game, but I think it's the first three quarters. Okay. And that second game is Dr. J's rookie. It's after his rookie season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you get to see a lot of the stars of the ABA and it's a dead even game and uh, they ended up pulling it out by a couple points, I talked to many of the ABA guys that were in the game but the funny thing to watch is at halftime, I think the ABA was winning, sure they were Yeah. they interview Robertson about, they give him some award and they interview him and the look in his eye when they ask him about the game, he is so pissed off (laughs) that, that, that they're losing you can tell you, a he can't believe it. Yeah. B this apple, and he kind of looks at the interviewer. He's like, "Well, what's going to happen in the second half?" I don't remember what he says, but it's something to the effect of, "Well, you're going to see something different, and we're going to win this game." Yeah. There's just no. It was game on. Yeah. And uh, I thought that was very telling. Um, you know, because there was a guy that probably had more pride than anybody.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: He did not lose to these guys. But the other thing about that game is. When Dr. J comes into the game, it's like he's playing at a different speed. Yeah. Uh, he is so clearly the best athlete on the floor and doing things other guys aren't even thinking about doing. It's yep. like watching the future of the game happen in front of you. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple plays, he blocks somebody's jumper. A guy takes a baseline jumper and he comes out of nowhere and blocks it catches it out of the air, dribbles through three guys, and then makes some funky, no-look, reverse layup. And everybody on the court is like, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> we, the NBA guys are looking around like, we've been playing basketball our whole lives. Nobody's ever done that, mm-hmm. and he did it
2: Mm-hmm. And, and and to
1: him, it was just another, you know, he was just making a play. Yep. Um, and there's a few plays like that, and then apparently – uh, and this is not on the tape, which is so sad. Uh, in the fourth quarter, he made a steal and dunked either from the free throw line or just inside it. Wow. And Oscar under the basket, so he basically dunked it kind of on Oscar. Yeah. They still talk about that because that was kind of like the, the peak, Dr. J. Like, yeah. I also this. Yep, yep, yep. you guys have seen this? Um, and uh, – I talked to Willie Wise, who's an ABA legend, and he was on the court uh, at the time. And when I mentioned it to him, he said, oh, that's right. He goes, oh, I forgot about that. That's right. Oh, yeah, Doc did do that. (laughs) Yes, he did. He goes, wasn't Oscar under the basket? I said, yes. He goes, oh. (laughs) Oh,
0: that's what. That's, 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 those are the things like when, when I, when I listen to you talk, like I'm, I'm so entrenched in like trying to soak all this in because these are the things like I, I feel myself like I know a lot of basketball. But as I was talking to the missus, I said to her, I said, you know, when I talk to Jason, There's a certain type of knowledge that I don't have that he has that he knows. So I'm going to pick his brain like a. I'm going to be a sponge because I don't know a lot of this ABA stuff, and it's not like I don't want to. Because some people they're like, oh well, if it's not the NBA or if it's not today's NBA, I don't want to know about it. I want to know about this stuff, but it's just so hard. So that's why I try to pick your brain as much as I possibly can because. Y- you have, you have a wealth of knowledge in that area, and you're, it, you have access to the people who played in it.
1: Well, and I, you know, I went out of my way to try to make that happen. I'm still doing it. Yeah, I'll give you another, uh, and a guy I've talked to a few times, a tremendous individual, Willie Wise.
0: Okay, was- yes, Willie Wise. I actually, I don't know, wh- was he on Oakland? No, uh,
1: no, he's a guy. Grew up in San Francisco. Okay. Um, and uh, went to Drake University. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Went to the Final Four and almost beat Kareem.
0: Oh wow! In his
1: senior year in the Final Four, they lost by I think three points. Okay. Uh, and then he went to the ABA and he went to the uh, then LA Stars. Yes. They okay. Okay. LA played at the Sports Arena. The Forum had just opened, so the Lakers were there. Um, and as a rookie, he was part of the team that went to the finals, which was a big, huge, uh, surprise to make it to the final. But one of the big reasons was their coach was Bill Sharman.
2: Oh, yes. Who,
1: who, uh, one of the five greatest coaches in basketball history. No question.
2: Yep. Um, and anyway, so they go to the finals. He's a rookie.
1: The next year they moved to Utah and Zelmo Beatty, who was an NBA all-star for many years yep. Had to sit out he, he was on the utah team okay and they won it all uh and willie that second year is when he kind of developed into the the two-way superstar he was a bobby jones okay with offense.
2: okay okay
1: he was a phenomenal defender played his ass off rebounded but he could really score mm-hmm. and so he was a true two-way superstar and uh because he played in Utah most of his career, he was known by ABA people, but not really by the end. And by the time he made it into the NBA, injuries had kind of taken a toll on him. So yeah. he was not near what he had been. Yep. But anyway, he told me he was in that super game. And he said that one of the things he was excited about was that, of course, he grew up idolizing Wilt, yep. right? Everybody his age did because Wilt was Wilt. Mm-hmm. And he obviously I'd never played against him, but I heard that he was coming to the game, and he said Wilt was like this big mystery. You know, he was Wilt. He was, like, bigger than life. And so we were all excited, like, is Wilt going to play? And then so we show up, and there's Wilt. He's going to play. So, wow. Okay, this is a play against Wilt. So he said about five or six minutes into the game, and you can see. Because uh, that's an so he said, "I'm guarding the hawk, so I'm you know I'm gonna, I'm trying to play as good D as I can because I don't want the hawk to score on me, right? Yeah. I got the Hawks. I'm going to let him do his thing. So I'm chasing him around, and they're setting screens for him. And so I I kind of lose sight a little bit, and I'm coming around one screen, and then bam, I hit Wilt. And he said it was like hitting a tree. <laughs> and I said, I kind of get that. He said, I can still feel it.
2: Oh it my lord. That-
1: I've been playing basketball my whole life. I'm like 24, 25 years old at that point. I had never, ever felt anything like this. It was just never anybody half as strong as that guy. Yeah. And all I could think was the rest of the game, he said, if you watch me on defense, I'm always looking for where's Will. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going near that guy again. I want nothing to do with him. That's ridiculous. Oh, my goodness. And so it's those kind of stories, you know, when you talk to these guys that, they're excited to talk about it because not a lot of people ask them about yeah. their career. Yeah, they're forgotten, yep. and you know they love the game. They play their ass off. They were he was as good as anybody in the in the game at the time, and and that was his experience. Yeah. And so you know that was really cool, um, and uh, yeah, it was just fun to hear. He had another story. They played Milwaukee mm-hmm. in one of those fishing games you're talking about.
0: Oh yeah, uh, yeah, pre- yep. And I believe it was the year.
1: Milwaukee won the NBA title and Utah won the ABA title. Yeah. And so the, the following season preseason was the battle of the two champions. Oh wow. So it was a big deal and it was in Utah sold out. They had a new stadium, salt palace. So big deal. And he said he was excited to see Kareem again because he hadn't seen him since they played in the final four and he didn't know Kareem. Yeah. Um, But he knew Lucius Allen. Okay. Um, and Lucius wasn't playing, I think, and he took Willie uh, back into the locker room before the game. And he said, "I walk into the locker room, and I'm excited. I'm going to meet Kareem." And and so he said, "We walk into the, the training room, and Kareem is on the table." And he goes, "He goes, you know, it's funny. He goes, I'm six six. He goes, you forget about how big Kareem is. He yeah. goes, he took up the whole table. <laughs> I'm looking at him. Like, how tall is this guy? Feet <laughs> are off the table." He said, so we walk in there and Kareem's lying on the table and he goes, I didn't know what to expect, you know. And he said, Kareem looks up and he's like, Oh man, Willie Wise, no way. Willie wise from Drake. Yeah. And he said, That was me, Kareem knew who I was. It was That's... like he goes, I was like floating on air. I'm like, Yeah, how you doing, big fella? And he's like, Oh man, I remember that game. And he starts talking about the game. He goes, I'm looking at Lucius, and Lucius, like, I told you, he remembers you. Yeah, so you know, stories like that, uh, getting to talk to guys like that and getting them to open up uh, has just been a pleasure. Yeah, and I've learned much. You know, one thing I learned that I really was not aware of is that the, you know, the ABA was really the land of opportunity for guys, right? Yeah. Because the time, nineteen sixty-seven, I believe there were eighty jobs. That's Okay. It. Yep. Total. Think about that. That's it. And for African American players, if you weren't a starter, you really weren't on the bench. Yeah. You need to because uh, the reserves needed to be white. Yeah. So there were very few opportunities. And a perfect example is a player named Freddie Lewis.
2: Yes. Who, okay.
1: And, and I didn't know this part. I knew that he played for the Indiana Pacers in mm-hmm. the NBA, three, three titles. He was the point guard and the captain, pretty important player. But he started his
0: career in the NBA. And he was on the Cincinnati Royals with Oscar. Oh, wow. But
1: you're a point guard and you're on the team with Oscar. You're not playing.
2: Yeah. Yep. (laughs) you are playing 45 minutes a game. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so Freddie, you know, was
1: on the bench that year. And then the ABA came to him. uh, They were starting up and he said, I thought about it. And I thought, well, this is easy. They're offering me more money and I can play. Yeah. I'm not going to play. And even if he got traded, there were only eight other teams in the NBA. So where's he going to go? Yeah. They all have point guard. It's nowhere for him to go. Yep. He given an opportunity and this is the case in all sports, right? A lot of times all guys need is a chance to mm-hmm. show what they can do. Mm-hmm. And here's he seized the opportunity became an all-star really quickly and showed that he was a serious ball player because he had the opportunity to play 35 minutes a game. Yeah. And show what he could do. Yep. And, you know within a couple years he's winning three out of four championships as the point guard and the key and the key guy making it happen so you know that's a that's an example of what the aba offered was there was a lot of really good basketball players in mm-hmm. the united states and there wasn't a lot of opportunity for them until the aba came then it was like if you could play now you got a shot yeah you could be a professional make some money get a chance to do what you love for a while. Mm -hmm. And if you're really good, you can make a career out of it. And a lot of guys did. Um, It was also a place where guys that have been blackballed from Mm -hmm. the NBA, Mm
2: -hmm. unfairly,
1: really, and I think it's so cool the way this worked out. Um, And it shows how good these guys were. Connie Hawkins uh, was, you know, Connie Hawkins. And he got blackballed unfairly by the NBA. And then, lo and behold, the ABA shows up. And they recruit him, yep. and he says, "All right, give it a shot." And he wins the first title, yeah, because he's Connie freaking Hawkins, yeah. man. He, <laughs> he, he's the best player in the league, yeah. So they end up winning it in seven games, and so I think that's really cool that he was able to not only get the opportunity, but was still in good enough shape that he could show that you know what I am what everybody thought I was. Yeah, I am that. I am the new. Generation. Mm-hmm. He was kind of Dr. day before Dr. J with the big hands, yep. and, you know, stuff with the ball. Nobody had ever seen that. And he got a chance to show it while he was still pretty much in his prime. Yeah. The next year,
0: another guy that had been blackballed that people have heard of, Doug Moe. Oh, yeah.
1: Who ends up being, of course, a, a pretty famous coach in the NBA. Yep, yep. He was a very good player. And he came over to the ABA. He had been blackballed for yeah. some years. so can I curse on
0: this? Uh what what do you mean? Like swear <laughs> like I mean, yeah, go ahead. If you if you <laughs>
1: he'd he been blackballed for some just complete bullshit. Yeah,
0: that that's fine. <laughs>
1: that's fine. And it was, I mean, that's really the only way to describe yep, it. Yep. Said, you can't play in our league because of this. It's like, "Oh my god." Yeah. So the guy, that gets a chance, goes to the ABA his first year, his team goes to the finals and mm-hmm. loses to con the next year. He gets traded to Oakland and they win it all. So Hawkins wins the first championship mm-hmm. black ball. Doug Moe wins is part of the team that wins the second championship. Yep. And the third one is a guy named Roger Brown. Okay. Who was equal to Connie Hawkins in high school. They were the rivals okay. in New York, City, which was the center of basketball at that time. Yep. And Roger Brown, was a serious ball player and he also was out of basketball black ball for the same thing hawkins was and got a chance and got on the indiana pacers mm-hmm. made it to the final his second year and won it his third year and was the mvp and had i think 45 in the clinching game mm-hmm. and 53 before it wow yeah in the finals so you know these guys showed what they could do, given the opportunity, they said, "You know what? I am that guy." Yeah, and I think that to have a league that offered the chance for those guys to do that and for them to seize it that way, I think is really cool. And people don't know that. Yeah, and uh, Roger Brown is one of the great offensive players of all time. Yeah, nobody knows who he is, mm-hmm. and he had a great ABA, but he didn't play in the NBA. He was done at that.
0: Time. And that's that. That's the that's the problem. Like it's like so when you. You you're talking about all these guys. And then one of the guys that I want to go to, and you wanted to talk about him as well. Um, talk about also his misconception, uh, like the type of person he was. So we talked about this with a group of people uh, on social, Warren Jabali. Um, Warren, now for those of you who don't know him, Warren actually played with Larry Brown. He played with Rick Barry. Rick Barry got injured, and they still won the championship even without Rick Barry. Um, he was he was on the Pacers with Wayne Chapman, that was the father of Rex, I believe, and That's right. they won a championship where he uh, Rick Barry tore ligaments in his knee, so he had to step up. So t- talk to me about a little bit about Warren.
1: Well, the, and this is what's so interesting, and this is why I got so excited when I did get to finally start talking to some of these guys. If you read Loose Balls, which mm-hmm. I did, and a lot of people have, yeah, that's kind of the, the ABA because it's just the only book out there. Mm-hmm. It won't be for, but it is now. Yep. Um they paint Warren Jabali as a as a thug, as yeah. a bad guy.
2: Yep, the guy
1: who was a badass black dude who liked mm-hmm. to fight, mm-hmm. and he. Could, he could play. But you had to kind of read between the lines to see how good a player he was. Mostly the stories were about how he was just a bad dude mm-hmm. and guys were afraid of him. And then guys took revenge on him and he liked to fight. and you know. So once I started investigating uh, the ABA, I learned that this guy was an insanely good player. Mm-hmm. And as a rookie, as you mentioned, he was on the Oakland Oaks, um, and Rick Barry was the star of the team. He had sat out the previous year, uh, was forced to sit out. So this was Rick Barry's first year. Yep. And he only played, I think, 35 games, tore up his knee, mm-hmm. and he was out. And Joe Bali, who was then Warren Armstrong. He had yes, Warren
0: Armstrong, yep.
1: Warren Armstrong from Wichita State um, out of Kansas City. And it was he, Larry Brown, and Doug Moe were really the three guys. Yeah. But when they got to the – Warren, as the great ones will do, took over. Yeah. And he had about 30 points, 12 rebounds, five assists throughout the playoffs. Yeah. And was just dominating dudes. And um, I was like, "You, you don't get that from loose balls. Yep. You don't understand how unbelievably good this guy was. And he could jump out of the gym and he was built like a linebacker. He was kind of the like a prototype of a LeBron. Like yeah.
0: one of those, like, oh my God, he could, you know, tear you up and he had like a 42-inch vertical. So he was doing things that people were like, who is this guy? I thought he was um, a forward when I thought he was like a power forward when I saw his picture. I looked at right. his picture and and his legs were like tree trunks and the first picture i found was him dunking in wichita state and he was only like 6'162 and i was like looking at him i'm like he's got these massive hands tree trunk legs uh, he's he's literally he's literally larry johnson like i thought he was larry johnson then i'm like he's a guard i'm like what and he's getting 12 I mean, rebounds a game and it was just unreal
1: yeah, he was an unreal athlete. And he, actually the clip that you put together, there's a clip there where
0: he's he's doing some ball handling at the top of the key, like holding the yep.
1: ball. Mm-hmm. And then he, he makes a no look between the legs pass yep. to Doug Moe for a basket. Yep. And, you, and this is a dude who's who's Larry Johnson. Yeah. And so he could do
0: everything. Yep.
1: Um and uh and so in in the book they also paint him as a as an angry black guy. Yeah. And so I started to investigate this and I'm talking to the other guys and I finally got the scoop. And, and, and then I read some of the things that he wrote. He's an extremely intelligent guy yeah. and he wrote really interesting stuff. And his thing was, it was the late sixties yeah. and he was all, uh, you know, the black movement and yeah. trying to up the people. And he yep. said, he goes, you know, a lot of guys didn't like me because basketball to me was I played it. So when the game was over, I was done. Yeah, I had other stuff to doing, and it yep. was important to me. Yeah, I wanted to get out. The I wanted to raise money. I wanted to help the kids. I wanted to, you know, do things that would uplift my people. Yeah. And he said, "I'm going out having a beer, talking about the game, whatever. I'm not doing that. Yeah, I, I don't." Care. And he said, "Guys didn't like that." Also, he was very distrustful of white people. Yeah, and, and because he was such a strong black guy, mm-hmm. they were very distrustful of him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there was a real gap there for most of his teammates, not mm-hmm. all, uh, and he didn't really care, yeah, because that's what he was about. And so when you talk to some of the other African American players who got to know him, they loved the guy, yeah. And and Willie Wise told me something really really uh, interesting. He said the thing about Jabali was he he would be happy to talk to you before the game, after the game, whatever, but you had to be ready, yeah. You had to know. Stuff because yep. Jabali educated, yeah. he knew what he do. He was reading stuff. He was into it. Yep. And if you weren't with him, he didn't have time for you.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: He said so. He goes. I guess he thought I was cool because I grew up in San Francisco. So I grew up with the Black Panthers. I kind of knew what was going on in the community. Yeah. So he always looked at me like as a guy who knew what was up. Yep. He said so. He he. You know. He goes. I always thought the world of the guy. Yeah. Freddie Lewis thing he said you know i heard some things he beat us the year before which is why we acquired him mm-hmm. he said he was a great never had any problems with yeah. him. and if you wanted to talk to him he was ready but you needed to know your stuff yeah. you need to be and i thought this is a guy i want to know more about that's not the guy i read about in the book
0: yeah it's funny it was- i i heard uh yeah. um when you when you said that, I, I I didn't want to lose my train of thought real quick. but I, I heard when you talked about how generous he was and how caring he was and how, how much you said that he did he wanted to do for the kids, and once the game was over, it was over. I heard um, on a, on a podcast because as soon as you said his name, I just started trying to research 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 as much as possible. And there was a guy named Steve Chubin. I think he played in the ABA. Um, Absolutely, And he yeah. said on a podcast that he had opened a midnight basketball program in Miami for inner city kids. And um, Steve asked if he could do it in Fort Lauderdale and he did it for years and he goes, I went to one of Warren's meetings. And just the look on his face and the excitement that he had for what he was going to do for these kids that he didn't really have when he was growing up. He goes, it was just, it was amazing to see it. And he goes, and I knew right then and there, I was like, this guy really, he cares. He really has something inside of him that cares for the people that, that are less fortunate that didn't have that opportunity um, to do things.
1: That's exactly right. He's the guy that created that. They're all over the country now. He's the one that started them down there. Oh, wow. Um, and Steve Chubin is a white guy who was his teammate yep. briefly and, you know, uh, felt really strongly about Warren. I, I know another guy named Ron Perry who played in the league for about three years. Really yep. good outside. Show. He became friendly with Warren in Florida afterwards. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Just thinks the world of him. He's still friendly with Warren's family. Ten years or twelve years after Warren's passing, yeah. So that's the fact that Warren had on him. Um, uh, So yeah, I mean, guys like that, you know, his story is a really interesting story. Yeah, and he's just been dismissed because of this book and the kind of portrayal they chose to make of him. Yeah, and that's that's a disgrace. So I'm trying to. I want to write some of those wrongs. Yeah, um, this is a superb basketball player. Also, he did something that you rarely see. You know, he did play as a forward in the beginning. Yeah, but he wrecked his knee that second year, and in those days, of course, medical science
0: was not the way it is today.
1: And and he had to reshape his game. Mm-hmm. And he lost the insane athletic ability. He mm-hmm. still had some. Of it. He became a point guard. Yeah. I mean, okay, how many power forward types then become a point guard?
2: Yeah, yep, yep.
1: Really is zero. Uh, he did it, and he was an all star point guard and MVP of the ABA All Star game as point guard. Yeah. So that's how skilled a player he was. And he figured out a different way to play the game, mm-hmm. use his body and ability to still dominate, even though he couldn't do what he could do three years earlier. Yeah. So. Yep. This is a special player and a, and a special guy who just was, you know, poorly portrayed yeah. um, for various reasons. So to me, he's a really good example of the ABA and a guy that was a, a powerful factor in the game that people have never, ever heard of yeah. and should know about. So he's another one. Ron Boone is another one.
0: Yep. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of people that, uh, that have been asking. They're like, oh, we're, we're going to tune in because we've, we've heard of him. We heard about him in, in, in dime space, but we don't really know about him. And I think you've just given them a little bit of insight on just who Warren was. Like he just a caring individual that didn't get enough recognition, but also a damn good basketball player.
1: Yeah, and, and to give you an example, too, and the other thing about the ABA that's kind of sad, I guess, is that the power structure was still the power structure. Yeah. So Warren, very outspoken. And if he saw something he didn't like, he would say something. Yeah. And, of course, the owners don't like that. Yep. And the and the, and the general managers don't like that. He played in the All-Star game uh, and was feuding with the coach a little bit at the time. Yeah. And But... The day after the All-Star, he played in the All-Star game. He Mm -hmm. was an All-Star and was cut the next day.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And hold on, was not picked up by anybody else in the league. What? And that was the end of his career at that time. He was done. And there's still half a season to go. And he's clearly one of the top 15 players in the league. But he was a problem. Because he spoke out when he saw they did oh some boy. stuff and you know, they treated the players and their families poorly, and he spoke up and said, "Hey, this is he called bullshit." I said this, this is bullshit. Why are the owners staying over there and they're putting me and my family in this dump hotel yeah. over here? Yep, where there's prison, whatever. It is. This is bullshit. Yeah, uh, yep. And they cut him. Wow. Uh, it was enough. He's a problem. Forget it. He's out. And they obviously made a deal with all the other owners. Nobody picked him up. Wow. So even in the ABA, as free ruling as it was and, and whatever, there was still, you know, a, a divide between the players. Wow. And then, the, uh, and so he came back the next year, the team picked him up and he played another year. But that year he was gone. I think he went wow. to Africa. Wow. Um, traveling. But, you know, so his story goes all over the place. Very interesting. Wow.
0: That's, that's. Oh my goodness. Like I that th- th- you cut your probably your best player because you don't like the fact that he's speaking out on injustice. It, uh, or, or something that's wrong. That's uh, to me that's that that's mind-boggling. It just it just tells me it's it, it it's a little bit of what goes on right now where you see people are more so in tune with what makes them feel better than what's actually right. And that it stinks that it's still a little bit like that. Um,
1: well, look at Colin Kaepernick.
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: Really kind of the same thing. Yeah. Legitimate player, you know, good quarterback, you know, takes a, takes a stand and is out. Yeah. Black ball gone. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing for, you know, 35, 40 years later. Yeah. So, wow. Damn.
0: Now you had, uh, but we're going to start to wrap up here now, but you had a story that you wanted to tell about Kobe and Phil. I think it was their first run of the championship.
1: Yeah, um, I was covering the league for Basketball Digest. I was their West Coast guy. And so uh, I was aware that Phil Jackson used to give books to the players, right? Uh Remember that? So that, that would come out every year. He did that on the Bulls. And so I'm a big reader. Um, I was a reading teacher, so I thought, you know what, I'm going to turn the tables. And I had read a book the previous year or two that I, when I read the book, I thought, man, this is this is kind of one of the main characters is kind of Kobe in a, yeah. in a very strange about basketball and race. And yeah, it's a brilliant. Book. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to give this book to Phil because he gives books to everybody, but nobody ever gives him a book. Right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. So they're in Santa Barbara, and it's, it's Phil and uh, for for uh,
1: preseason. And I went to school there, so I'm very familiar with the area. Mm-hmm. So we're all up there, the writers, and the bus pulls in, and they all get off the bus, and Phil gets off the bus, and I'm standing there, and they're all walking into the gym, and I said, "Hey, coach," and he kind of, and you got to remember, he's six nine. Yeah. Yep. Right. You forget how big he oh, is. Oh yeah. Right? Uh huh. I'm like, "Hey, coach," and he looks down at me, and I'm looking up. And I'm thinking, God, how big is this? Yeah. <laughs> and, he, he, and he's looking at me like, you know, what? And I said, hey, I really think you'll appreciate this book. I said, I know you give books to people, so I, I think you'll really appreciate this book. And I put the book in his hand. He looks at it, he looks at the cover, he looks at me, and he kind of nods like, all right, and then just walks off. Uh huh. That's it. So a couple of the other writers get me afterwards. They're like, what was that about? And I explained it, and they looked at me like, you're crazy. What the hell was that? What are you doing? <laughs> Who are you? I mean, what the hell? So, cause I wasn't a beat writer. So I wasn't one of the guys that was in the, in the mix. Like
2: yeah. That. Mm-hmm.
1: So that was it. And my wife asked me, you know, how to go. And I said, well, I gave him the book and she said, well, what happened? I said, that was it. I gave him the book. Nothing happened. So two weeks later, preseason's pretty much over. They're down in LA. They're getting ready to play a preseason game. So we're there before the game, a couple hours before the game. A bunch of us writers are standing there. And Phil is on the court probably 50 yards away mm-hmm. at mid-court talking to somebody. The guy he's talking to walks away. He looks over to where we're standing, and he goes like this. He points to our group, and he does this. And so we're all looking, and they all start looking at me like he's pointing at you. Yeah. So I look and they kind of, it was like a movie. They all just separate away from me. <laughs> right? Like, somebody's in trouble and it's you.
0: Yeah. I don't want to be associated with this guy. <laughs> I
1: don't know what's going on, but so I'm standing there now. I'm like alone, and he's still just looking at me, going like this. And I'm thinking, okay. So it's like a long walk, right? I'm doing the long walk by myself across the court. And He's just standing there waiting for me. And he's got a stone look on his face, nothing. Um, and I can't figure out what's going on, so I'm I in the And again, he, you know, he's really tall, so I'm looking up at him. Mm-hmm. He looks down at me and says, where the hell did you find the book? And I said, uh, well, he goes, that's one of the best books I've ever read. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I said, uh, good. That's what I was hoping for. <laughs> He says, "So we got to go talk about this." So then he takes me over to the to the uh you know the bleachers. Yeah. And I look, all the other writers are standing there, going, "Oh my God, what's going on?" Yeah. And so we go over and sit down, and he's talking to me about the book for maybe ten minutes. He obviously not only read it, but he like absorbed. Yeah.
2: It. Dissected Which it.
1: Things in the book, and we're just having this really cool conversation. And then after about eight or nine minutes, he stops and he goes, all right. He goes, I I got stuff to do. I said, yeah, I know you do. And he goes, but here's the thing. He goes, I want you to give the book to Kobe. (laughs) I said, excuse me? (laughs) He goes, goes, isn't that why you gave me the book? (laughs) Well, pretty much. He goes, don't you think Kobe should read it? I said, yeah. He goes, okay. So, I'm going to send word, but I want you to give the book to Kobe. And he goes, and I want you to follow up and see what he thought about it. And I'm like, so is this an assignment? Yeah. And he goes, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. So, I did that. And I said, Coach wants you to read this book. He read it. He thinks you will enjoy it. I said, I gave it to him. I really enjoyed it. I think you'll enjoy it. You know, this is young Kobe, Yeah. right? He's 22 mm-hmm. at the time? Yeah. Maybe twenty. And he looks at me. He's like, all right. It was kind of weird. So he takes the book. So about a week goes by and the season starts. And I see Phil before one of the games. And he does this again. He calls me over. Yeah, He goes, so, you talked to Kobe yet? I said, no. He goes, well, get on it. I said, all right. So I go after the game. And I said, hey, Kobe. Have you started reading that book? He goes, "No, man, no, I ain't started it yet." I Said, "Okay." So I go back and report to Phil, and now I'm like Phil's guy.
2: Yeah, yep. it.
1: I'm a writer. Why am I? Why am I working for him? <laughs> and he he, he looks at me and goes, "You got to get." I said, "What do you want me to do?" I, I mean, I can't force the guy to read the book. Yeah, he's like, I want you to stay on it. So a couple of weeks later, I go back to him and I said, "You know, Coach wants me to know." He goes, "You know what? I did start it." He goes, "I tried to start it because you know." He goes, but I I just couldn't get with it. I I, I just, he goes, I don't really read books. He goes, I read magazines. I'm not like a, he goes, it was, it it was too hard. I I don't know. I I read like five pages, but I'm, I'm, I'm out. I said, okay. So I went back and and told Phil and he Mm -hmm. goes, okay. (laughs) And that was it. Okay. And that that was the end of it. Wow. Uh, So, and it was in the, they actually put it in the LA times, the LA times guy, Put a little note in that when Phil gave books to everybody, that's the book he gave to Kobe. So
0: oh, wow. So, that the, but cool. that's 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 that that book that he gave to Kobe is was all you're doing.
1: A hundred percent. And and I saw Phil, I don't know how many years ago, probably now five years ago,
2: mm-hmm. uh, at Staples at an event of some sort.
1: So I found my way over to him. And as soon as he saw me come, he's like, "Uh oh!" He goes, "There he is." <laughs> and, and he just wanted to know. He goes, "So what do you read?" And it was like talking to like a librarian. Yeah. Like, so what do you read? I'm like, "Well, what are you reading?" And we started talking about basketball books, other mm-hmm. books. Um, you know, it was really funny. And then he started laughing. He goes, "He goes, you know, Kobe never read that book." <laughs> he goes, "He goes, you know, he should have." I said, I know he should have. He said, he said that book would have had such an impact on Kobe. I said, you know, you can't make. A, what can you do? He yeah. Said, no, 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 you you to try. I said, yeah, because you pushed me to yeah. try.
0: <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, he he somehow, some way, that book might have spoken to him in other ways, and he I, turned.
1: I, I, it worked. Yeah. I mean, you know, they won three in a row. Yep. So, uh Anyway, the book is called The White Boy Shuffle.
0: Yes. Um, yes. You told me about I, that.
1: I recommend anybody who uh, loves basketball. It's not specifically about basketball, but mm-hmm. it kind of is. There's a lot of basketball in it. It's funny. It's unbelievably
2: well written. The guy's an award winning writer named Paul Beatty, um, B E A T T Y. He's yep. a wonderful writer. Just won the Booker Prize
1: for Best Writer in the World a couple years ago for another book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about race and, and, um, Growing up, it's about school. Everybody went to school. So yep. it's a great book, really
2: funny and really powerful book. Yeah, uh,
1: if people want to read it, Phil loved it. I loved it. So uh, you know that's good enough for me. Um, but yeah, that was pretty funny. That was that was fun.
0: That's great. That's great. All right, we've we've unfortunately come to the end of our show. And first, I, I'd like to thank Jason for giving out his time and uh, and helping us to become more knowledgeable about the ABA and the things that went on in the ABA and the players that really helped move the game forward, you know, and that don't often get the recognition that they deserve. So I want to thank you, Jason, for all of that.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I mean, those guys, they're the ones that did the work and and that's, that's just my goal is to kind of honor them. Jimmy Jones is another one people should know. About. Oh yeah. Matt, Matt, Calvin, another name that, that they should know. Louis Dampier. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys were ballers. Man. Yeah. They could really play. And, uh, they, they moved the game forward, like you said. So they deserved that. And, and last thing, I'm glad some of them got some of the money. Yeah, so that
0: absolutely. Happened. Absolutely.
1: And, and that's been a big battle. That was a big part of what I was trying to do was help that happen and, and uh, just really happy for the, the guys that are going to get that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, every show I end with guys who don't get enough credit, and this whole show has been guys who don't get enough credit, but the one person that I'm going to talk about, um, again, we're going to reiterate his name was Warren Jabali. Um, his name, uh, Jabali, the last name, meant rock in Swahili. I found that out. Uh, He was a four time all star in the ABA, the ABA playoffs MVP by averaging 29 and 13 boards as a guard, mind you. Um, If there were a finals MVP, I'm sure he would have taken that home too because he averaged 33, 12, and 4 in the finals and just did everything. And he's part of the ABA's all time team. So. If there is any way shape or form that you can find something on YouTube about Warren Jabali, if you can't find Warren Jabali, look for Warren Armstrong. If you can find that, then I guarantee you you will you will be amazed to watch it. How skilled he was, how strong he was, how patient he was, and how just just how great of a player he was.
1: Agreed. Uh, I was blown away, and I I think everybody will be, and and they should know who he is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you again for joining in on another edition of One in a Million. Once again, I am your host. I was joined by Jason Levine, one of the writers for the NBA for years and years. Uh, I hope that you enjoy the rest of the summer, enjoy the rest of your day, um, and we will be back again next week. All right, take care. Thanks, Jason. You
2: got it.